Hey, it's Jeff Finley here, and this is the Maker Mistaker podcast. Today, we're going to get into part two of my amazing interview with Todd Akamesis about synchronicity and living a magical life. This part, we get into a lot of the more deeper esoteric aspects of synchronicity and the nature of reality and how it connects with spirituality and our inner child and all that. Lots of big stuff in this episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So let's get started. So, Todd, um, there's so much more to you than just these synchronicity walks. Um, <laughs> there's so much more that you've got going on. Like you briefly touched about when you're six years old, you had your first out-of-body experience and that you had a spiritual awakening. I mean, is this something you want to talk about? Well, I'm I'm always happy to, you know, to go deeper if you like. And, and you know, that's certainly another direction, okay. uh, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. How do you do you feel like you've covered everything you want to cover in the synchronicity walks before we shift gears on talking about OBEs? Oh, we could be here for weeks. So we're probably best to take that CU now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that sounds good. And I may, I may end up splitting this into two at two podcast episodes just so it's um, subject matter is pretty, you know, cohesive. So yeah. so that might yeah. be a good idea. So, yeah, let's. So let's go ahead and talk about your first out-of-body experience when you were six and how that led to a spiritual awakening and where it took you. Well, I remember that really clearly. It was it, it actually started off um, in, in, a, in a way which I now could articulate as being a, a, a lucid dream. And, you know, this is quite fascinating because when you start to realize that ultimately all these different things where it's lucid dreaming, out-of-body exploration, waking consciousness, these are just different states of consciousness. And whether or not you can attribute it to, you know, a bubble within a bubble, a reality within reality or whatever label you want to sort of apply to it, I find, you know, the, the more we, we're willing to just show up for whatever experience it is without it needing to be one thing or another, we're going to have, we're going to get more from it. So, in that young age of six years old, I didn't understand what it was. I didn't know how to classify it, um, but you know, it didn't stop me. So on this first experience, I was I was in this sort of dream. I didn't realize you know it was a dream. I wasn't consciously awake, but I was I was dreaming, and suddenly my younger brother, who was only like four years old at the time, we were wandering around in the outdoors together. And and then this loud roaring sound got both of our attention and we spun around and there's this tiger standing, you know, maybe, you know, 20, 20 meters, 20 yards away from us. Mm. And we both instinctively decided we needed to run. And as I'm running and we're now sort of running in, you know, opposite directions, um, I'm, I'm suddenly getting some sort of awareness that this is not everyday life that, you know, we don't live in a part of the world where there are tigers and, you know, a little boy of six years old would have known that, you know, it would have been really interested in that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and so I was really open to the idea that, you know, this was different. And with that sudden sort of awareness, it became very clear that I wasn't awake. I, I, I didn't immediately think, you know, it was a dream or whatever it was, but I, I, I did, I guess I would have done, but I, I kind of was open to it to being something more, but I knew I wasn't awake if you like. And, and then I realized that the tiger was zeroed in on my brother and he was chasing down my brother. And suddenly I had this awareness that I could, I could do things. And suddenly I was, I, I was like caught up with the tiger at lightning speed and I wrestled it to the ground and it turned into a little toy. And, <laughs> and then my brother disappeared, the scenery disappeared, and I'm suddenly standing in a completely different environment. And there's a man standing there, a human, you know, sort of orientation. 
and he starts to talk to me about how clever I am. And <laughs> I suddenly felt as if this was something even more different. This man seems real. And he knew my name and he asked me if I knew you know, who I was. And, and I said, yes, I live at such and such a place. And so he was, he was very happy that I was able to be you know, very consciously aware within the experience and to the point to where I even realized that I had a physical body that was lying in bed you know, somewhere in another part of you know, the world. And he was very impressed by that. And, and that's how it all started. And then from there, um, it just sort of is as if, you know, there is this, again, a breadcrumb trail. And that was the first. Maybe there was many before that, that that led up to that moment. But that was the moment where it became really clear that something different can take place at night. And whether I fully understood it or not, it didn't really matter. It didn't stop it from happening. And I started meeting some of the same people. I met this man again several times who introduced me to other people. And I started meeting up with other children while out of body. And we'd be taken to different places. We'd be taught stuff. And then I always remember the return journey to my body. It was like being on a roller coaster. And I was at the top of the, you know, of one of the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the hills. And it come, come down and, you know, arch into my body. And mm. I could feel all that butterfly sensation in my stomach. And it was exciting and scary at the same time. And I'd wake up and I'd tell my mother and it, we got into this ritual where my mother would start um, noting everything down for me in a journal. So she'd sort of write, write down my experiences and then she'd, she'd ask me at the same time as I'm talking to start coloring and drawing pictures of what I was experiencing. So she very much encouraged this. It wasn't one of those situations where I was being told it was just a dream. I was being you know, encouraged and nurtured to explore this. Yeah. And I think that's what really, I would say, helped the most was having somebody around me that encouraged me. Uh, whether my mother understood it didn't matter. Whether she believed it, it didn't matter. She encouraged me, and that that was really important. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I mean, so many people are just told that it's just a dream, and then they get shut down. And I mean, the, I think that you're a special person. You incarnated for a special reason, Todd. So it's like you chose your family to have a have a experience of encouragement and growth and learning. So this is just the beginning of your of your non physical journeys into the astral plane. And and so you were in meeting other children and in classes and learning and stuff, and not just having you know ordinary dreams, but you were actually being taught in the out of body state. Yeah, we were we were being taught stuff, and you know, my, it was interesting. Uh, when I was twelve years old, this you know this took place between age six and age twelve, and then I guess you know around puberty, it's also interesting enough that it's suggested that around that age is when our pineal gland starts to get you know encrusted with uh, with with different debris, and I started to sort of close down, and those th things, well, the experiences started to sort of um, uh, almost seem like another chapter of my life. One chapter of my life was closing while another chapter was opening. And there was some sadness there for a, quite a while, you know, at least a few months where I would long for those experiences because especially when I was in, uh, in school, I was very different. And I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of your listeners can identify with this. You know, you feel, you feel different to the point to where it doesn't feel good almost. It feels like it's a burden. It feels like you know, nobody understands you. And that the ego can again latch on into and start to suggest things like, yeah, well, you know, you're, you're better than everybody else. You know, they don't understand you because you're, 
you're you're you know in a completely different playing field than them and the ego will try to convince you you know in its own ways that it's okay you know to be separate from everybody else and it's really not you know it's just society just doesn't you know hasn't taught us how to interact with each other with with openness and love and being able to accept that you know people are different instead of being afraid of fearful of each other's differences and belief systems so you know it, it sort of stopped around that time but it was still there i was still you know open to other other you know phenomena i would have the odd paranormal experience i remember having you know some weird experiences uh, which people would maybe suggest were were sort of uh, alien contact and you know so things reality started showing me things other doorways if you like Tom, uh, can but you get into certain... that alien contact for a little bit because i'm talking with a friend of mine who's she's told me that she's you know she hears voices from her spirit guides and stuff like that and they speak to her they guide her and she used to have a lot more contact with them when she was younger and she knows she can pretty much identify that it's extraterrestrial race it's not like an angelic being but it's her et sort of family and and that's pretty wild for a lot of people to hear. And she and she went through a phase similar to you where, like, as she became a teenager and grew into a young adult, that that sort of went offline. And she started developing an ego and in her intellect, you know, and her and her independence in the world where she has to rely on her logic and rational thought. And she can't really be a kid anymore, right? So in the, in the process of becoming an adult, we turn off those features and they be kind of becoming you know pineal gland becomes encrusted or whatever it is we go through that process of, of losing it and then so she's been experiencing it sort of coming back online so i just want you to touch on the whole et contact thing for your experience like what was that like for you and did you feel like a crazy person or how did it how did it happen? <laughs> yeah well it, it was just another way where i i just felt that you know there are certain things I, I realized very early on that I couldn't talk about to most people, especially children my own age, um, because, you know, they were being, you know, through, you know, the cultural trance, they were being taught certain belief systems, which were normal, which would then, um, you know, ingrain some uh, system within the brain, within society, a punishment versus, you know, sort of reward system. And it seemed like, you know, the people that were outside the, the, uh, cultural beliefs, you know, we're going to get punished. And I was, you know, most of my beliefs seemed to align, not, a, not to align with, you know, the cultural beliefs. And therefore, yes, I did experience some um, punishment, punishment of exclusion, punishment of ridicule by my peers. And, and so I did learn that, you know, there was a lot of stuff and it was a lot of stuff that I needed to keep to myself, you know, um, and some of that was this contact that seemed to be taking place, and it was it was predominantly taking place within within um, dream states and with ten out of body experiences. Again, I couldn't classify, you know, the different experiences as mm -hmm. a child. Although one thing was for sure that I knew that when one experience was taking place, I never ever saw my physical body sort of lying in bed. Whereas in another type of experience it would usually start out where I would see my physical body. I would be standing, you know, maybe a couple feet away from it. So I knew that there was a difference there. I didn't understand what that meant at the time, uh, uh, but I knew it was different. Yeah. And I think looking back on it now, that's my guidepost. That's for me as an adult to understand that, you know, you know, when I didn't see my physical body, maybe it was because it could have been a mental projection where I was already transported away from my body because I didn't need to travel from A to B. Um, or it could have been a dream. It could have definitely been a dream. It could have been a lucid dream. Um, but without a doubt, I think majority of the ones where I did see my physical body, you know, 
things were unoperationally, things seemed different. Uh, physicality, everything seemed different. And I could now attribute that more to the out-of-body state of consciousness. So that was some sort of guidepost for me, you know, at that early age. So when sometimes things were, were wildly different um, than other experiences, I could put that down to some, you know, just one thing in my head that was to say, ah, it's more safe to experience this in this kind of, um, you know, whatever this is. And, but, it, it, you know, so if it's in a dream, for example, and whether or not I classed it as a dream or knew it was a dream, I knew instinctively that it was a safe place to express what was being sort of experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was cool at that age to at least have that level of understanding. So when I started getting introduced to other beings consistently where uh, we were being taught stuff, one thing I remember asking at an early stage, uh, it must have been maybe age eight, where I was really into astronomy. And so I was really into the solar system and I was curious about other planets. And I asked, you know, is there life on any of the other planets? You know, are there people living on the other planets? And I was then said, uh, someone said, okay, well, we can show you. And I was taken to Venus, uh, but not physical, um, you know, material uh, level of Venus. I was taken to a counterpart level of Venus, like, mm. um, you know, just outside the physical level. And I was shown, you know, uh, a sort of a counterpart level, which was vibrant, full of life. Just because the physical homeworld seemed a dead, a dead world didn't mean that there wasn't life of an energetic form. And I was being shown that, you know, just through this parallel, you know, um, reality that there was life. Um, wow. But, you know, we're, we're just only interested through science, what we can sort of probe with our telescopes or probe with you know or you know in a, in a petri dish and it's just you know reality is more than that and i'm not naive enough to think that science doesn't understand some aspects you know of us living in a multi-dimensional universe i think there is there are definite politics at play there is also a, a large level of corruption that's also you know at play mm -hmm. where you know we're not being told a lot of stuff and they have their reasons, their controlling reasons. Uh, I, I don't agree, you know, that they have, you know, that they have this uh, sort of uh, system in place that they've they've put in place, you know, the powers that be, if you like. But I'm, I'm at least not naive enough, you know, to think that, you know, there's not some level of government, some level of um, science that understands this stuff. Because, for example, when you take potentially hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, uh, that the U.S. government can apply to their secret projects. And when you then mix into the program potentials like Roswell uh, and other uh, potentials, other anomalies where we're possibly reverse engineering, you know, other technologies from other worlds, when we have that level of, of an endless budget being applied to these areas, in my mind, there's no way that we can't know about, you know, multidimensional reality from a scientific perspective. Yeah. Especially, especially from certain uh, sort of areas of government, um, you know, certain programs that we'll never be privy to because of the, the you know, the, the, the security clearances involved. You know, here I am, an, what you could term a normal, average, everyday citizen of the planet, and I'm able to leave my body at will and go anywhere I please. So if I wanted to go to Area 51, if I wanted to go to the Pentagon, nothing's going to stop me. Let's put aside any conspiracy ideas such as my energy might be trapped and they have certain devices that can trap me. Let's put that stuff aside for the moment and just take the idea that I can go wherever I want to go.
Mm-hmm. Now, there was a very interesting experience that Robert Monroe, who is probably considered, you know, the the uh, the godfather, uh, the father of all, you know, this modern day out of body exploration. Right. And he talks about in his book that he wrote back in the 1970s of some of his experiences back in the 1960s. One in particular uh, that comes to mind, uh, you know, in context with what we're talking about, where in 1961 he was vacationing or on business on a business trip near um i think it was martha's vineyard where the you know they have a presidential uh, retreat center, retreat compound mm-hmm. and and so robert monroe thought i'll get out of my body tonight and i'll go visit the president now uh um john f kennedy was president back in 1961 so he thought i'll go and visit kennedy so as he was out of his body and he was going to visit uh, the presidential, you know, president at the presidential compound, when he got close to the compound, he, he encountered a non-physical bodyguard, a non-physical soldier, who I think if Monroe would have described it a little bit more, he probably would have detailed that it was perhaps uh, a physical soldier who was out of body at the time and was guarding that compound from a non-physical vantage point. And it, it, you know, that is really curious to me because of all the experiences I've had, uh, run-ins, if you like, with the U.S. military while out of my body. You know, it makes a lot of sense that if average citizens like me, without no budget whatsoever, without any support of a bigger project, can get out of my body and go anywhere, wouldn't it make absolute sense that if they protect themselves defensively, physically, why would they not do it non-physically? Why would they not have agents, you know, who were able, capable through um, their technology, which again, through some out-of-body experiences, I've been shown certain things, you know, they do have some really cool technology, um, you know, and just as a, as a parallel to that, you know, I know we haven't spoken about it yet, but there's a device that, you know, I'm working on with a friend called Pandora Star, which we do use for um, exotic exploration, such as lucid dreaming and out-of-body exploration. Mm-hmm. And if this is us just maybe taking, you know, thousands of dollars to develop this system, if the government, if a project potentially has millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars at their disposal, plus potential off-world technologies to work with, what could they have developed by now? What have they developed to to not just travel with um, from one planet to another, you know, forget the moon projects or these ideas that were going back to Mars in these ancient rocket sort of technology, you know, yeah. but that possibility that they have the means to travel uh, with spacecraft, but equally technology that can assist them with having dependable, replicable out-of-body experiences for any um, out-of-body sort of team uh, projects that they have run in. So, I mean, this stuff opens up so many cans of worms, and I find it endlessly fast fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that that's it runs parallel too, because with a story of my own, because I one of the women I've met on my trip shared, shared with me real world experience of herself being a product of MK Ultra mind control programming from an early age and childhood trauma and torture and stuff like that through you know through these top secret government programs. She was you know her uh, personalities were made to split and fracture and all this kind of stuff. And, and I was like, so how does this all work? And she's like going into detail on how it works. And she talked about interdimensional kidnapping, time travel and like timeline manipulation and folding back in on itself and erasure, memory erasure and, and like, you know, like wiping the, you know, men in black kind of stuff, you know, wiping the memory and the, and erasing, redoing, undoing the timeline and, folding it back in and creating portals and transferring you through portals, you know, 
that's how people travel. That's how, you know, these people travel. They travel through portals. And it's like, whoa, that's super intense. You know, how do they do that? Well, they do it through consciousness and through black magic and all this kind of stuff like that. So that's a, that's a, it's an insane world. You know, like if we, if us average people know about this stuff, think about the people that have something else to gain from it, you know, and what they've learned and how they've controlled it and what they can develop. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is where we all need to sort of maybe, you know, just think a little bit sometimes a little bit more outside the box because this is reality. This is, is this is the reality of living in a multidimensional, um, you know, uh, you know, consciousness that there there are more possibilities than impossibilities, and and the more we can the more we can open our minds to to what is already there that we're maybe just not seeing because of wherever we're at with our beliefs and those beliefs currently getting in the way. Again, I wouldn't suggest that people have to let go outright, let go of their beliefs, but certainly be open to experiencing something different. And then, of course, let, let the natural, you know, sort of transformation take place just through having these replicable, you know, direct experiences. So you start gathering evidence. That evidence then eventually leads you to, to a state of proof, you know, personal, verifiable proof. And that's, again, that's all I ask of people who come to my workshops or talks. You know, they don't have to listen. They don't have to agree with anything I say. They don't have to trust the things that I say. I'm just asking them, look. This is your journey. And if you'd like to experience more on your journey, you're going to have to be a little bit more open-minded. You're going to have to open your heart a little bit more. And those are things we can all do. But yes, again, it's baby steps. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes people are, you know, woken very abruptly from their, from their, uh, you know, their, you know, cultural trance. Sometimes, you know, it's through baby steps, but you know, our journeys are all, are all going to be slightly different. Yeah, we each have different breadcrumbs to follow, you know, like, for sure. So I think it's, it's, it's up to each individual person's curiosity. And if they give themselves permission to follow their curiosity, rather than saying, nah, I'm not going to do that, because that's, you know, that goes against everything I've been taught, or that I might get in trouble if I follow my curiosity, or I might become one of those people that become that gets ridiculed and out ostracized from my community. I don't want to do that. It's dangerous. I'm not going to follow that. But the thing is, if you follow your own curiosity, your own thread of inspiration, then you 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 come up with your own answers. You come up with your own solutions uh, and to your own questions rather than like deciding which religion you want to pick and listening to whatever answers someone else gives you. It's like you're uh, developing your own ability to use discernment and to to also open your heart and open your mind, but not be completely gullible to where you believe everything you hear. But you're exercising your own discernment based on how authentic it feels to you and also your own direct experience, you know? So what you're, what you're a proponent of Todd is direct experience. That's why we do the synchronicity walks and out of body travel. So you've had experience, your own experiences with out of body travel and gain all sorts of insights and had lessons and teachings, but you also teach out of body travel to everyday people who are interested in this kind of stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is, um, you know, for me, you know, I, I, I teach what I'm good at. I teach what I want to learn more about. And and I, I have a lot of fun doing it. So and it's not exclusive to this level of reality. I mean, that's the cool thing. I mean, I'm probably teaching more in the out of body state than I am in, in you know, physical reality. I run here maybe one workshop every I used to run one once a month. I'm now down to running about one every three months. And uh, 
my big one, which is, you know, run annually, you know, uh, in France, you know, just sort of, uh, once a year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can work with what people in other ways, but I almost at least twice a week find myself in other environments on the, what we sometimes term as the astral planes, what you could also refer to as the interlife state, the afterlife state, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's different names for it. Again, we can get hung up on these labels, but during some of my out-of-body experiences, I can teach on other levels. Sometimes I'm teaching other people who are out of their bodies, and they may or may not remember the experience when they wake up. If they do remember it, maybe they remember it as a dream. That doesn't take away from the experience, because whether you remember it doesn't mean you haven't learned through osmosis. Just because you don't remember doesn't mean you haven't been enhanced in some way. Right. Sometimes people wake up feeling inspired to suddenly learn yoga or to suddenly become a, a Reiki practitioner. And it was probably because, you know, during somewhere during the night when they were, you know, out of body and then not now, you know, not consciously remembering the experience because that does happen. Maybe they were on another level of self. They were being trained, you know, in a modality on the astral planes in an environment that they're probably very familiar with because they, they had to come from somewhere, you know, before they were on this level of reality. And they're, and they're probably in at night during sleep navigating back to places that they're highly familiar with because this physical human earthbound journey is only part of the overall experience you know you're more there than you are here and so like i said just because we're living a double life and not, not remembering when we wake up doesn't mean these experiences aren't taking place i would just be asked i would just ask people to be open to the idea that they are probably being trained they are maybe even teachers on other levels and this is maybe why suddenly they want to go from just being a yoga student to a yoga teacher because now that inspiration of being a teacher on another level in a parallel existence is now starting to filter down here to inspire them to 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 sort of match the resonance of that of that um self in this other parallel dimension yeah that's very true and it's funny you talk about teaching on the astral or the interdimensional planes you know cuz after I first heard your podcast about on the Path 11 podcast, I first heard you, I ended up having a dream where I was in a classroom with you. You were you were teaching and um, and there's a whiteboard. There's like I, I just remember being this like it actually felt like an apartment, like a sort of a, an abandoned apartment that we were in. And like we were all sort of squatting, you know, kind of taking over this place and doing some sort of DIY, you know, astral exploration tutorial on people. And there's a, there's a handful of us, 15 of us maybe, and there was a whiteboard and there was explanations going on. I have no idea what was being taught. I just knew that your energy was there and other, and it was about out of body states and it felt different. And I actually had an OBE within that OBE, which is strange. <laughs> it was, you know, one inside of itself. And I remember uh, going upstairs with my iPhone thinking I could take a picture of the non-physical entities in the room and it didn't quite work out as I had planned, but but that was a... <laughs> <laughs> well. At least you thought to. <laughs> it was it was interesting how it worked out. And then lately, I've been having a lot more classroom oriented dreams where I'm le- learning tantra and the art of sacred love. And this has been something I've been hugely inspired by uh, the past couple of weeks. And it's like I'm following these breadcrumbs, and it's like this path is leading me toward this sort of sacred love. And and these are like these are like sex dreams, but they're amplified with this whole. Uh, spiritual aspect to it and i'm learning and i'm teaching and i'm you know i've got like instructors it's it's strange and i wake up feeling inspired and like like okay something is definitely happening whether i know it consciously or not 
I'm being, I'm learning and I'm being upgraded. I'm being, and also my higher self is bringing this into my conscious awareness because this is a part of my journey, you know? And so I love the idea of these nighttime teaching rituals and, you know, you're, you're a multidimensional being living simultaneously, you know, in these different dimensions and you're, it kind of comes down to you're a lot more powerful than you think you are. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the only reason we, we feel otherwise is because to me, this is the biggest, you know, conspiracy of them all. This is the mother of all conspiracies. You know, the lie that we are single beings in a single body, in a single world, in a single universe, you know, that's, that's so contrary to reality. You know, we are multidimensional beings with multidimensional consciousness. You know, we have parallel versions of ourselves living across, you know, this multidimensional expanse. And I think the more that we're open to that journey, we're more than more open to the idea that maybe some of what we are currently classifying as dreams might actually be something more. Because one of the phenomena that I noticed, like what you've just described yourself with having an experience with me, a potential experience, mm-hmm. you know, I get these reports all the time from friends on Facebook, you know, Facebook friends, people where you haven't physically met them on, you know, in this lifetime but you know they we've become interconnected for for you know again these patterns of meaning and and it it doesn't stop us from having experiences together on other on other levels so you know it's curious that sometimes you know the validation that will come for several people uh you know very close together uh, for example i might report on facebook um i had an experience last night with um a bunch of people and i might name a few names or I might just be more vague and say, does anyone remember? And then suddenly people come forward with, with um, experiences that match uh, my experience, other people's experiences. And they were only afraid to share because they didn't want to seem like they were wrong. They didn't want to seem, you know, that, you know, that, that it might have just been a, you know, just a dream, you know, like they're told from birth. It's just a dream. You know, so I think we right. have to take a, a sort of, if you like, a step out onto that spiritual limb and really trust that yes this is part of the process if we are multidimensional beings it only makes sense that when our physical body body goes to sleep at night that you know we we become conscious on other levels and yes a lot of times we don't remember and if we do it it only seems like it was a dream it seems like we were a bystander with it where in reality we were probably way more than a bystander when the experience was happening but it it only maybe seems to this physical waking conscious uh, part of ourself it only seems dreamlike you know in the moment that you know there's a part of us oh this is just a dream but to another part of us it's more vivid it's more real it's it's happening in real time it doesn't seem like we're a bystander but there's there's multiple aspects to our consciousness and there's multiple aspects to our memory and even the storage of memories so you know we're not storing everything consciously from this level of reality and you know it's but i i do find that the more we apply ourselves to Showing up, uh, you know, by writing our dreams down in a journal, by maybe adjusting our sleeping position. One thing I, you know, one tip I can give right now that I know across the board for most everybody will create a huge change in recalling dreams slash unconscious uh, out of body journeys would be just their sleeping position. Really, you know, if people if people can start. Um, um, adjusting their sleeping position where they have maybe three or four pillows stuffed behind them to where their head, neck, and shoulders and sort of um, upper back are supported on those pillows in maybe at least a 30, 40, 
you know, or 50 degrees off the bed, that is going to make a massive difference because there's a study that I found um, with NASA uh, that NASA, um, you know, with their astronauts core, but they found that the ideal sleeping position for the physical body is 30 degrees off the bed. And I remember as a child, my mother always used to tell me that I was going to develop, you know, um, you know, neck and back problems because I always slept with three or four pillows behind me. And now I'm learning as an adult that this matches with research that NASA has done for their astronaut corps. And there's research to suggest that migraines are, are taking place. Alzheimer's is, you know, is, is sort of a reality because of our sleeping position primarily. And that's because people are using one pillow underneath their, their head supporting them. And what's, what the problem is with that is that you know, the blood does not drain from the brain so easily. And so you create this intracranial pressure, um, which causes all kinds of malfunctions uh, for the brain. So if you think about it, when we're sitting up or standing up when we're awake, gravity is working in our favor. You know, we don't get this surplus of blood to the brain. But the moment we lay almost near flat, gravity no longer works for our benefit. So as the blood's pumping blood to the brain, it builds up more and more and more, and it starts that pressure starts to cause problems, and even with memory recall. So I would suggest to people, if they just change their sleeping position, yes, it's going to take them time to get used to it. They're going to want to sort of move into different positions. They're going to want to you know, take some of the pillows out inadvertently in the middle of the night unconsciously. But if they stick with this practice, and you know, you can still sleep on your side, you know, at a at a sort of an angle. Um, it's a, maybe a bit of an art to it. But if you can stay more on your back, lying on your back, with your head, shoulders, you know, neck supported by you know uh, an arrangement of pillows, at least thirty degrees, they're mm -hmm. going to instantly have a boost in in uh, dream recall instantly within just maybe the same night or within you know the next night. Wow, that's awesome! I never even thought about that. I'm going to have to try it. Well, it's definitely yeah, please give it a go. And, you know, it's again, one of these things that, you know, we, we learn through doing. So, yeah. you know, if we gather evidence that this does suddenly give me a more, an increase in dream recall, then wow, then maybe I need to sort of adopt this as my permanent sleeping arrangement. I mean, this is how I sleep as an adult and it works just fine for me. I mean, I did go through a point in my life where I did sleep more with my head to the bed or just one pillow. And it was only recently that I readopted this position and, you know, without doing my normal rituals for getting lucid or OBE, it's, it's happening more natural again because, you know, my sleeping position has changed and my brain is not being, you know, sort of overwhelmed with, with, uh, with pressure, which is causing, you know, issues between, you know, the neurology of my brain and, and, you know, my nervous system and therefore the energetic connections that then link with my physical sort of, uh, you know, neuropathways, et cetera, because, you know, everything's interconnected. You know, you take something like, for example, when we talk about the physical body and the energy body, you know, there's inter interconnections between those, those different parts of self. And it same goes with, if you think about every atom in our physical body, there will be a, a, a shard of light within our energy field. You know, there's, there's an energy point between everything physical and a counterpart, you know, so therefore every, every neuro pathway has an energetic pathway. So the more the more we start being inclusive, you know, with our reality, the more we're going to experience. Yeah, some of the techniques that really helped me was was just with the meditation. As soon as I started meditating, it was like even my basic meditation when I first started, which was really just five minutes of silence. I didn't even know how to meditate. So you just sit down and be silent and start, you know, going with your breath, following your breath. 
that was the very basic stuff, but that started training my brain to have to be more mindful and aware. And that starts to happen in your dreams. You become more mindful and aware. I mean, so you build these habits in your waking life. They they carry over into your sleeping life, essentially. So it's, meditation is always a good thing to do. And also one of my favorite techniques is just the whole wake back to bed method, you know, for, for out of body experiences and lucid dreams. You you sleep for four hours or so and you wake up and then you maybe move around, do a little meditation, kind of get your consciousness online again. So you're not just going to zonk out as soon as your head hits the pillow, but you can comfortably go back to sleep after that. And you don't even have to really try hard or even worry about having OBEs or, or lucid dreams because they start to happen naturally. So if you combine that with meditation, with uh, changing your sleeping position, that and also your intention, like if you're doing this because you want to have an OBE or a lucid dream, that's going to help influence your ability to have one too because you desire one and you want to and you're open to it. So all of that stuff, you'll probably have one you know, if you just start to put in a little bit of this stuff into practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that just the things that we've, we've both just, you know, put out there for people to explore with is enough. Indeed. Absolutely enough. Yeah. And I mean, I took a, I, I spent $2,000 to go learn under William Buhlman at the Monroe Institute uh, a month ago. You don't need to do that. You don't need to go <laughs> spend that much money to go learn how to have out-of-body experiences or whatever. And he taught us probably like 25 different techniques that you can do and meditations you can do. But really all that, the, the main thing I learned from that was just putting in the effort, the, the practice, just to do it. Like, okay, so I have this this mantra, wake up, show up. And yeah. that's all you got to do. You know, you wake up yeah. and don't just unconsciously start doing like go on your computer and start checking your Facebook. I'm a, I know I do that all the time. Okay. But like if you can wake up and intentionally meditate for five minutes at the very least, you know, do a little stretching, have gratitude for the day, clear your mind, you know, those little steps will help you have out of body experiences and open up your clear cognizance, clear audience, clear sentience, everything it starts to get such a turn you back into your superhuman self. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I find, you know, one of the things that I that I share with people in my in my trainings, you know, with regards to lucid dreaming, out of body exploration, you know, is that um, whatever system you learn, you know, so for example, we've given people, you know, just in the last ten minutes, probably some really good basics to explore from. And with those basics, if you have a consistent, you know, practice of conviction, you're going to start having out of body experiences. And like uh, you mentioned, William Bowman, Bowman would suggest, you know, maybe thirty to ninety days of being consistent and you know you're going to yeah. experience stuff and i agree with that but one thing i would add to that is that i find that we can sometimes get into like in other areas of our life maybe uh 50 hours of practice we apply to something and then we get to that good enough sort of uh, state of consciousness and we don't really learn anything more i would suggest you know that's that's what's called a um a bottom-up practice where if you do the opposite where you have this top-down practice where whatever you learn initially you're always open and willing to learn other stuff that you can apply to that basic foundation practice um, this is why when people who come to my workshops from all other avenues like maybe they come from you know Tantra or Reiki or or uh, shamanism I say look you know what you're gonna learn in this weekend or this nine-day retreat is not going to supersede anything else you learn it's just that you you know you learn how to interconnect what you've already learned with the tools that you're going to be given now. Mm -hmm. So you know 
you use these tools inclusively, but you're constantly learning. It's constant growth. For me, that's that's part of the formula for me. It's constant growth. It's constant willingness to continually to expand and learn more and, and different stuff that I can apply. And But, you know, yes, a good foundation practice like we've just talked about will definitely get people started. It's enough to get people, you know, to start remembering their dreams, to start having, you know, some out-of-body experiences. And then, you know, the, the more, you know, you start to apply to it with that top-down learning, you know, it's just going to sort of, um, you know, it, it, it's just up to you how far you want to take it. But I do find that, you know, by being open to always being willing to add more to what you're learning, you know, through that top-down practice, you know, you sometimes might hear people say, well, it's this 10,000-hour rule. You know, if you apply 10,000 hours towards anything, you'll master it. That's only half, you know, the truth. You know, the other part of this is, you know, what if you, that first 10,000 hours is only a mediocre practice? What if that first 10,000 hours is, you know, is practicing a golf swing that a golf pro taught you, which was, was, was not really the best for you as an individual? You know, of course, we can take like a foundation learning for all of us and apply it to all of us and we're going to get something from it. But there's other areas of our consciousness, like say, for example, a, a subpersonality who might get in the way after the initial sort of learning that might suddenly be controlling and start bringing about procrastination, then, you know, that part is basically saying, look, I'm one of two things. I'm either I can't do what you're asking me or I'm unwilling to do what you're asking me. And if it's a matter of can't, then it's, a, you know, it's sitting down with that part and reassuring it, soothing it, and or versus if it's a can't attitude I, or a won't attitude, I won't do this. Then you know it's maybe it's some deeper forgiveness work that needs to be done. It's it's other ways of application that might work, you know, because these are different exclusive, you know, not exclusive. These are different parts of us that just require different, you know, sort of um, tools sometimes, um, or or something that makes them feel more inclusive. Because these parts will sometimes stand in the way, and that's where procrastination comes from. That's where you know the, the mindset of getting distracted comes from, because there are parts of us that are maybe already feeling overwhelmed with being on this level of reality and suddenly you want to take them to another part of reality where it's just going to make them feel even more fearful. So sometimes that steps in the way. So for anybody who applies the basics that we're, we're suggesting now, but perhaps still having some level of struggle, keep in mind that you do have that inner world that should be considered too because there are distinct parts of you that will feel differently about this especially if they don't feel very much support. Because you think about yourself, anything that you've learned in life, maybe at grade school, you know, when you were younger and you were taught a new sport, if the coach wasn't really, you know, sort of um, approaching you in, the, in, a, in a way which was loving, perhaps you felt, you know, that, you know, this, this was just beyond you. You felt like, you know, this wasn't for you. But to be nurtured, there's some, something really powerful about, you know, this, this nurturing and to be able to nurture all these parts of yourself, just like the loving way that we are nurtured by the higher self and our guides and helpers and other beings, mm -hmm. you know, of great evolution who love us. You know, they're, they're unconditionally nurturing us. And we need to be the same with that inner community because it is there. Yeah, you know, the, the topic of procrastination and the, the I, I noticed this too, like, some people seem to be naturally gifted at out of body exploration and they have a natural curiosity and they're like, Oh, here's the steps to do that I need that I took that you can do. But those steps often don't work for other people. And it's like the other people get frustrated 
it's like it's weird because what what I was following was my own inspiration and what works for me. And I never I didn't and I would try to follow other people's steps and stuff, but I'd always come back into what worked for me and then I would just feel what where I follow my own curiosity and inspiration. And if yeah. if I'm trying to teach somebody who's not inspired or curious, but they feel like they should learn OBEs for some other reason or like they think they're cool or like I wanna try it, you know, because no matter how much I'd say, like as a coach or something, like, okay, you gotta put in 30 to 90 days, you got to commit, you got to do work hard, you know, all of that mentality seems like it's, it seems very old world to me, this idea of having to work hard and, and put in 10,000 hours. It's like, I just say, focus on what inspires you. And you're, it's going to naturally bring you to your blocks, to your things that help that yes, it's going to naturally take you to there. And then those kind of come to Absolutely. the surface. Then you work on healing Absolutely. and integrating those as you go. You don't have to worry about like, well, if, if I became an expert OBE person, if I did 1,000 hours this year, then I'll be an expert OBE person, and then I'm going to have this new ability, and then I and then what? Like, and then I'll be happy. Like, what are you ultimately after? <laughs> Absolutely, and I think it's it's the same with the uh, the synchronicity walks. And I've already you know I've already said it you know or suggested that. You know, synchronicity is is doesn't need a process. Uh, manifestation doesn't need a process. You know, these things happen in, in an instant. They can happen in an instant. Mm -hmm. You know, but we do get this sort of belief that you know this has to happen and then that has to happen before this can happen. And you know, yes, that is true based on certain belief systems. But that again, you know, the universe is inclusive. There are much. There are many more ideas out there that will work for people now. So, Todd, what's a give us a? Have you had some OBEs lately? Like what's your what's your current um, experience with it? You've been doing this all your life, so like what's what's happening in your world now? Well, there's there's a lot of things that I love um, exploring on sort of uh, if you like as as hobbies. There are things that I'm you know very much an enthusiast at um, sort of. Uh, so I have quirky areas of my exploration, and then I have you know the very natural stuff where I don't try to force anything. I have like if you like my OBE. Um, um, you know, to-do list, if you like. Yeah. And I'll update that regularly. There's things on it that I'd like to experience. Um, but I do my best to sort of go with the flow, just like with the philosophy of, you know, synchronicity walks. Uh, and I find that this really helps me in being able to not push against what's, you know, what's, what's um, already there as a gift for me. You know, um, I find that the more I let go, the more you know, high-level stuff I start to naturally experience anyhow. So, for example, in my first year of out-of-body exploration, it seemed like I was on autopilot um, as an adult um, because there was a big gap between you know, age 12 and age 35 when I picked it up again. And I'm 40, 45 years old now, so it's for the past 10 years that I've been full-on exploring again. And my first experience at age 35, um, for, the, for that next year after that, uh, I was very much on autopilot. I would come out of my body and I would just go where the energy took me. Uh, if I suddenly felt a tug on my energy, I would surrender to that and I would have such an amazing experience. And then in year two, it seemed that I wanted to take more control. There was a part of me that said, okay, I can do this better. I know what I need to be doing. And <laughs> right. that's fair enough. You know, it is nice to have an idea of what you'd like to explore, but to realize that, you know, the, you know, the, the universe, you know, you're a co-creator. And therefore, the universe is, is able to see a big picture perspective. There's other multiple parts of your consciousness that are showing up and are always showing up and are just ready for you to sort of come forward and say, okay, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to see where you know, this will take me. I'm open to this. 
And but when I was shown things, it's almost like my you know your car's GPS. If you program it and say, okay, I'd like to explore an astral city, and then suddenly you program in, that into your your car's GPS, and it says, okay, turn left, and you're like, you can vaguely see the city down in the distance, but then something else on your right, you you know like the grass is greener stuff. And you're like, oh, but this this there's something else that appeals immediately, and you're like, and you don't trust it, and so you don't turn left, and and you and you turn right, and then your GPS gently, lovingly, will recalculate regardless of what direction you've now chosen. It'll say, okay, I can see you've, you've gone right where I suggested you go left, but I've now recalculated. And if you take the next left and then the next left, you'll get back on you know, that pathway. Oh, I see you've now ignored that advice and you've gone, you've chosen to do that. That's great. I've recalculated again. Yeah. I, I mean, we're, it's, the universe is always there waiting to say, okay, look, you know, use your free will as much as you want. That's fantastic. That's the gift, you know, for you to be able to make your own choices, you know, in life. But equally, we're here too. And we have access to this bigger picture that, you know, you can benefit from if you can, if you want to trust all this advice, all these gifts that we've got lined up for you. So you can do this either way. You can, you can do it, you know, through the free will, or you can do it through this guided, you know, sort of method, and you can still use your free will along the way. You know, the universe is an inclusive place. So, in year two, I sort of just, I, I became a control freak and I controlled every aspect of it. When I was being shown something, I'd be like, ah, I can do it better or whatever. And I found that suddenly the quality of my experiences started to suffer because I was now saying, look, the outcome has to be this. It has to be that. I need to experience this. And although all that stuff is there to experience, there is probably, you know, it's like with manifestation. Sometimes we're too attached to the outcome, but if we were to let go a little bit more, we get what we want and probably something more, something totally unexpected that, you know, just blows us out of, you know, blows us away imagination wise. And, and we're shown that, ah, OK, I didn't see that because, you know, previously I was limited by this belief or that belief or this feeling or that, you know, sort of, um, you know, block, whatever it is. And this it just teaches us that there is a part of us that we can trust. There is this deeper part you know, that, that is always there, is always showing up and ready to show us that more. And so over a year two, I learned a lot and, you know, I had some great experiences still, but uh, I, I got to a point where I wanted to get back on the autopilot. And I've been on that autopilot for the last eight years. And although there are things I'd specifically like to explore, when they come up, they come up. And when they come up, they seem to be of a higher quality than what they would have been if I would have just tried to force the situation. So there are things like, for example, exoplanets is one of my favorites to explore right now. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, whenever uh, science is, uh, you know, comes up with an idea that, oh, here's a planet of potential, you know, Earth 2.0, then I put it on my list and I say, look, I'd like this to come up. This is something I'm very interested in, as you're aware. Um, and I put it over to that part of me that's equally very curious about that or has already has a lot of exploration, uh, you know, um, develops in those areas and when that part is equally ready to come forward and and show me something that it's curious to show me it's interesting showing me i'll be ready for it but equally when i get out of my body and suddenly a wormhole opens up an energy tunnel like and you know and sometimes you hear reported in near-death experiences people say there's this tunnel of light you know that kind of stuff up and happens a lot and when these tunnels open up you know and you feel that tug on your energy field i usually go with the flow and I'll experience things ranging from, uh, you know, the astral planes, you know, the interdimensional planes like you, you've labeled it. Um, and I'll, I'll meet maybe 
friends that I've made in the astral that maybe I see only every couple of years um, and they've got some updates for me, you know, they've got some research that they've been working on for me that I can use back here on this level. I mean, it's so cool to make friendships across this multidimensional expanse. And, you know, even if you only hook up with them every couple of years, they're still looking out for you. I mean, you know, just give you a little sort of, you know, you know packets of information that can become useful. Um, or mm-hmm. like, for example, recently I had an experience where, you know, I, again, I'm open. I don't mind what level of reality. And I came out of my body and suddenly I could feel that there was something there. If I just connected with it, I'd go there. And so I connected with it. I was open to it. Um, but there was a part of me that was red flagging it also saying, oh, I don't know if this is the type of environment that is very safe. Mm-hmm. You know, that I would be fine. I'd be absolutely fine. So I followed the breadcrumb trail. And I arrived in what you could say not quite the astral proper. It was more an in-between sort of reality between the physical earth, our physical dimension, and those extra physical dimensions. Um, So, you know, uh, an intermediate state. And it was a place which was very much governed by emotions, very much governed by emotions, but not just the emotions, the emotions from the residents in that space. So I'm there and I'm, I'm talking with a couple of the, uh, the people that live in this environment, which, you know, seemed kind of gloomy, actually. Mm-hmm. And, but they were open enough to me. They knew I wasn't from their level. And I, I had a suspicion that they actually knew where I was from. And then suddenly, out of the blue, it started to, to pelt down with these hailstones, you know, the, the size of like a, a baseball. Yeah. Um, they're rather large and alarming. And, you know, I could feel they had an energy to them, an emotional energy to them. And I recognized it. And it was just something like I was able to sort of um, uh, telepathically connect with. And I felt that it was the uncontrolled, uh, you know, uncontrolled spiraling energy from human thought on our physical earth level. That you know, we we were so sometimes un, un you know sort of irresponsible, if you like, um, with our thoughts and our feelings. We don't realize the impact it makes on other systems. You know, even in spiritual circles, we talk about how you know we're interconnected consciousness, but yet you know still we might have a bad thought about a friend and not then sort of uh, integrate that thought, do some healing work and integrate that thought, and then apply some love towards our friend instead. You know, sometimes we let that stuff slip. We're not showing up, you know, um, you know, being fully present. So imagine all this, you know, uncontrolled thought and feelings sort of spiraling away from us and creating thought forms and all the other realities. And that's what it do. Every thought that we have is creating form somewhere, you know, in, in some way. Yeah. And on this occasion, these hailstones were thought forms of, of this combined emotion from our, our physical earth system, which was adjacent to their non you know, physical system, their extra physical system. And suddenly with, with this hailstorm that suddenly came out of the blue, they looked at me in a completely different way. They were like, you know, almost judgmental. And I could, I could feel their combined energy of, you know, this is your doing, this is your fault. And I was like, crap, (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't a nice feeling for me or them. Yeah. You know, our energy goes much further than we think it does. I mean, you know, anybody who's read, you know, people like William Bowman or Robert Monroe, you know, they'll they'll have this idea that, you know, our thoughts do create form on other levels. You know, William Bowman talks about he's been to levels where he's seen, you know, partly constructed cruise ships, which were probably the imaginations of architects who are working for, a, you know, a certain architectural firm that works with, you know, the shipping industry. 
you know, we, we create stuff like this. You were alluding to, you know, uh, being in a workshop with me somewhere on the, you know, inter, on the interdimensional um, planes where, you know, it seemed like it was some derelict, you know, apartment building. You know, that could have literally been the construct of somebody's thoughts here. It could have been a whole community of, of, uh, of ghetto dwellers on this level of reality, you know, within a, within an apartment complex, you know, which was run down and all their collective thoughts had created, you know, this, this idea of this on another level of reality, because, you know, sometimes we do squat while we're doing, uh, become squatters, you know, in, in other people's thought forms while on other levels of reality and, and temporarily sort of use them for our own purposes. I mean, this stuff is a lot more interesting than I think we've allowed ourselves to, to, to realize. And of course, that's because, again, of our cultural trance, you know, the belief systems, the collective belief systems that we're, we're told about, you know, religious ideas of, you know, even with religion, it's, you know, it's this dichotomy of, you know, um, you know, uh, good and evil and heaven and hell. And, and it's like, no, it's more interesting than that, too. Way more. <laughs> yeah, I want to touch on your, the idea of thought forms and stuff, because, you know, one thing that William Buhlman uh, pointed out in his lectures while I was at the Monroe Institute was really fascinating. He talked about, you know, the manifestation process and everything that you have in your reality has started with a thought form from somewhere. Someone had to think it first before it manifested physically. And it kind of trickles down. Like you have the initial thought of something. Um, say, and he, let's, let me, I'm just going to give the example that he gave, which was really fascinating. He talked about him and his wife. They were, th they got this new place and they were going to redesign their, their fireplace mantle. They were going to build it out of stone, right? And, and create this cool, like, fireplace mantle. And it was taking a long time for them to do it. Like they kept getting interrupted and it was like, but what he saw in his out of body state was over time, the fireplace mantle, like he would go out of body and he'd be in the like an energetic replica of his room. But like the fireplace area was different. It wasn't, it started to have like this light around it or whatever, or like it started to be like this holographic form of something coming into being right like his thought forms were there projecting into this into the into this reality and as time went on it started to form itself like the the, the stone started to build itself and he went he actually walked up to it and put his hand on it and it was like this hologram you know like this he was putting it through it and it was like he could ex feel it and experience it in this thought form and then you know and then it finally manifested in the physical so it's like he he says every thought creates a mold that the more you think about it, the more you apply emotions to it and energy to it, it starts to build itself in these non-physical dimensions until you feel it so strongly that you need to create it in physical reality. And, and to create it in physical reality, you need tools, you need to put forth effort and energy and get teams of people to work on it, all that stuff. But like, but it all starts as your inspiration, as your creative like thought that comes in and it creates a form. So then you're doing that all the time, whether it's positive or negative thoughts. And so, yeah, I love this idea yeah. of you think something and it's got a form somewhere. You think a, a, a negative thought about a person, you just put that energy out somewhere. And the more you think it and the more you apply emotion to it, you are creating that reality for yourself because you're so much That's more powerful right. than you think. That's right. And, and you know, sticking with this this line of thought, you know, really take this a little bit a little bit deeper in the sense that, you know, um, in psychology, they, they, they talk about the, you know, the uh, processing speed of the, of the physical brain, you know, um, the subconscious, for example, you know, the, the, um, 
consciously we process something like four, four to ten bits of information per second um, based on where you're at, uh, if you like, um, co with cognitive function. With regards to the subconscious state you know, of, of mind, you're looking at 44 million bits of information processed per second. There's this huge you know, chasm between the conscious and the subconscious state processing-wise. Mm. So every subpersonality within you, every ego state, is hardwired to that subperson, you know, that subconscious uh, realm. And so let's say, um, you know, let's take this idea of interconnected consciousness even further. It's not just that you and I are interconnected. Your subpersonalities and my subpersonalities are also equally interconnected with each other. Now, if they benefit from being able to, to, to tap into that, you know, overwhelming processing speed to what we are normally used to tapping into consciously, if I put out an unconscious thought about you, and let's say in a negative way, your sub your subpersonalities are going to feel it and they're going to know it, you know. And already there there's going to be this sort of um, blocking process going back and forth between us. Sometimes we think that we're blocking ourselves when in, in reality we're blocking each other. You know, it, it 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 is it is more than what we're thinking. And even with the idea of um, thought forms, you know, the traffic goes both ways. Uh, and I'm not just talking about your thought forms affecting me and my thought forms affecting you, but I'm talking about, again, other realities like I already illustrated with the hailstones. But let's take it where um, an extra physical reality is affecting us thought form wise. Um, I was once in an astral city, this magnificent astral city, uh, you know, the population was was. You know, uh, just, you know, I didn't do a proper consensus, but it was. It was a very large place. I mean, it would easily dwarf any of our largest Earth cities, wow. uh, maybe by a good eight or ten times. And it was massive. And at the core of this environment was this really incredible uh, structure. And the the you know the citizens of this were really proud of this this uh, structure. I mean, it's a tower. It was an enormous, you know, sort of monument, if you like. Mm -hmm. So I was there admiring the structure when some of the citizens from that environment latched onto me and they knew I, I was from somewhere else. And I think one of them must have dug a little bit deeper into my into my, um, you know, into me telepathically and realized where I was from. And this individual said, this structure that you're looking at is the root of another structure in your world. And I was suddenly very fascinated. Wow. And and I said, what structure is that? And again, he sort of delved a little bit deeper and he said, you call it the Eiffel Tower. And I was like, whoa, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, this thing was like 10 times the size of the Eiffel Tower. It, it had detail that the Eiffel Tower doesn't have. I mean, it didn't look much like the Eiffel Tower, to be honest. Um, but he explained to me what happened. is basically they loved this creation so much that they started to sort of um, manifest it in other levels. They started planting the seed in other levels you know, going deeper and deeper into reality. And it would start taking form on other levels. And eventually, it got to a point where they were influencing people on this physical earth level through thought forms, through the in their imagination. And when the idea was first commissioned for the Eiffel Tower, it was heavily influenced by this other, this other um, interdimensional uh, uh, astral city. And so our Eiffel Tower is literally linked to another structure on another level of reality. You know, so this thought form stuff, it works both ways. It can either be unconscious or very conscious. And in that case, it was ve a very conscious process. 
Wow, that's that's so cool. That's such an awesome direct experience for you to to kind of get a handle on how things work. And, you know, it's 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 like a blessing that you got to experience something like that. That's that's exactly I mean, that's exactly the way I look at it. And that's why I've got to the point nowadays where when things like that happen, I mean, I will literally I'll be like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. More, please. Yes. You know, and I'll emphasize the more, please, because, again, it. I know this This is all about abundance. I know this is interconnected consciousness. And it's just like I either just know it or or I do something with that knowing, you know. And, and you know, I want to have more direct experiences of this order. I want to be able to be inspired in ways that I'm not currently thinking I can be inspired. I want to be open up to as much as I possibly can be. And, you know, things like that, yes, that's that's really interesting, you know, in many ways. And, and you know, just the insights that I gain from certain experiences that we can all gain, that we always gain, you know, from every experience, even if we call, class it as a failure, you know, we're gaining something from that. You know, we're gaining data, as Tom Campbell would say. You know, that's what it is. It's data. And that's that's information we need to know that we can then take with us and apply, you know, again and again and again until we get to a point where, you know, you know, it's it's working in a way which is in harmony with with our life. It's working in a way where we're creating sustainability. Like again, Tom Campbell would allude to when he talks about um, you know entropy. You know, he's talking about sustainability. Either a system is sustainable or it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And there's always great clues out there to suggest when something is out of balance, out of harmony. And and you know, if we're willing to show up, you know, we can make a difference. And this is the thing I love about this type of exploration, you know, being so open, we get past that idea that, oh, I'm just one person. What can I possibly, you know, you know, how, what kind of effect can I possibly have? You know, this is, this is, like I said, with the synchronicity walk, you know, every thought leads, leads to something we do and everything we do, everybody else that we meet is at the effect of that. And even people we don't meet directly is at the effect of things that, you know, the way we think and therefore the things that come, the doings from the thinking, you know, and the more, people that are willing to show up and take responsibility for their thoughts, for their feelings and, you know, working with, you know, through meditation, like we've both suggested, you know, this, this whole world is going to get affected, you know, from, from a, from a, you know, if you look at it from the idea of a, like people do the idea of a hologram, you know, one change in the hologram creates a change across the board, no matter how small it's going to have an effect, you know, and with all of us having, you know, making having you know our thoughts that are causing every effect in our lives. That these are now, you know, um, you know thoughts that are creating a cause, a causal sort of uh, relationship with with something that's affecting you know having an effect in our lives. You know, for the better, mm -hmm. it is going to get better and better. And you know, part of that we look at the news and we think, oh, you know, the world's just you know it's just a bad place and there's so much inequality. We I think there's equally there's a there's now a level within us. Um, within society that realize that, you know, the media is controlled by the few and what we're being told is propaganda largely. So, you know, it's a matter of not outright, you know, turning away from the media because I think, you know, that in itself is just denial in itself, you know, turning away from events that are affecting all of us. Um, you know, there's nothing yeah. transcendent about that. Sometimes people say, you know, don't focus on the negative at all. There's nothing trans transcended about not focusing on what needs to be focused. One of my mentors, um, you know, I love this woman dearly, uh, Marianne Williamson, you know, she would say, you know, if the house is on fire, you are justified to say the house is on fire. It's that simple. So, you know, but when we do look at this stuff, you know, we're not looking at it like she would say to dwell in it. 
you know, because when we dwell on something like a, a negative, you know, you know, sort of story, we start to take on the energy of, of that which we dwell. But, you know, what she would suggest is, you know, you look at this with more depth. You look at this with meaning. And, and that's where the difference starts being made. So, for example, you know, again, she would say, you know, if you're reading the newspaper and you see all these horrible things happening, you know, she would suggest, wow, those are great things to add to my prayer list. You know, you don't just sort of look at them and think, oh, it's so bad. I need to put this down and ignore it. No, you add those things to your prayer list. You add those to your meditation to where, you know, you say to the universe, look, I'm willing to show up. Tell me how can I be used In what way can I be used as a conduit for for change for good change in the world? Yeah, so much of the people focus on the bad and they're in a state of fear. So it's like and then they continue to perpetuate the fear. So you know with like attracts like and if you attract in the vibration that you hold your state of being and if you're constantly afraid you're gonna create a reality for yourself that proves to yourself why you should be afraid like you'll you'll find more things to be afraid of and you'll perpetuate it and perpetuate it the more you dwell in that that area Absolutely. but what you can do as a as a sovereign infinite divine creator being is to transmute that and to say look i see you i appreciate you and Here's what I want to do about it. I want to create a more loving world. I, you know, rather than hoping someone else does it, what can I do? And <laughs> Absolutely. You, you transmute it into yourself and create a more loving environment within yourself and within the thoughts that you have, the feelings that you emit and the energy you put out in the world. You start to see evidence of, of a more loving world start to show up in your reality and it starts to change. And you're like, wow, OK, maybe things are changing because we do have the negative. We do have the media and the propaganda and sort of the end of the world scenarios that are happening right now. But at the same time, where you're not looking, people are are opening their hearts and people are becoming more loving beings and evolving and turning on their, their extrasensory abilities and we're waking up at rapid pace. You know, the more you do it yourself, the more you notice other people around you are doing it and we're more like upgrading to living a more magical existence. We're becoming more aware of our power of creating our desires and it's 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 all theirs too you just got to shift where you're focusing on absolutely and and you know that's that's exactly it it's that shift that's that shift in thinking and you know that just creates a whole different reality you know bang on awesome well i think i've got to run soon i've got to go to my acupuncture appointment todd um but um is there anything else you want to add uh, before we before we ha end this call? Anything that's um, been springing up to your mind that you want you want to talk about Pandora Star for a little bit? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's maybe for a few minutes. Uh, you know, this is this is something that is a is a project that's originated uh, from uh, a friend who, from another, if you want to put a label on it, a uh, light machine. Yeah. Uh, a chap who developed a light machine called uh, Lucia, and you know he he, um, he had a near death experience, you know, and that's what kind of started this journey. You know, he wanted to be able to, you know, uh, replicate that experience to show people through a a, a device, a machine, um, you know, a powerful experience of light, and you know the the blissful, tranquil, peaceful feeling that he experienced while you know during that near death experience, and. You know, I tried out the machine and and I was really impressed with it. And I I bought one of the machines. You know, they're quite pricey, but uh, it's mm -hmm. you know I use it for workshops and stuff. And then uh, during the time of owning that machine, I had a somebody come to one of my workshops and they only had like five minutes, you know, five minute demo uh, trial on the light. And he went home. I didn't realize he was an engineer. He went home and he basically made his own. 
And then he brought it back to me um, a couple years later after he developed it. And he showed me what he created. I was just, I was, I was amazed. It was just so, such a beautiful creation. Mm -hmm. And so we went into partnership and we now, you know, promote this light uh, through my workshops and, and, uh, you know, we go to different events, mind, body, spirit, soul events, and we demonstrate the light and the possibilities. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful entrainment device, you know, on a, on a sort of fundamental level. It's called Pandora Star. And it's it's fundamentally it's flickering light. Uh, we use flickering light to guide you know someone to experience you know a range of beneficial brainwave states. So mm -hmm. you know on the whole, in the in the average person on the average day, we're mostly in a, a beta frequency, uh, but we also can experience alpha frequencies when we're more relaxed, theta frequencies when we're in deep meditation, delta frequency when we're sort of um, uh, in a real deep state or, you know, asleep. And then if we go the other direction above beta, we have gamma, uh, which is, you know, if you like the, the root of consciousness within the physical body. Um, it's the, the frequency that, you know, is associated with cognitive enhancement. Uh, you know, if you were to experience, um, to stimulate gamma frequencies on a daily basis, not to be uh, confused with gamma rays, gamma rays are quite deadly, <laughs> but, uh, -huh. uh gamma, gamma brainwave frequencies, uh, um, if you were to experience the 40 hertz frequency in particular, you know, this is a frequency where if you stimulate this on a daily, daily basis, uh, you know, you'd, you'd experience uh, cognitive enhancement in ways such as your brain processing speed uh, would increase your ability to retain information, to recall information, you'd become less distractible. So, you know, we, we, you know, with the light, we show people, you know, that, you know, you can, you know, heal your body. Uh, balance your emotions, train your brain, and expand your mind through exotic states of exploration, like lucid dreaming, out-of-body exploration. You know, and this is stuff people can achieve naturally. Um, but we're just showing people, especially people who have never experienced stuff before, but they're open to experiencing stuff, or they've only had a window, you know, into something, and and it's it was only open briefly. You know, we use the machine to where they 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 sit down or they lie down in front of it, and they close their eyes. And there's 12 high-powered LEDs that, uh, you know, shine through their eyelid, excites the retinas of the eyes, sends information to other regions of the brain, like the pineal gland, the visual cortex, other uh, centers. And it creates this kaleidoscopic color and psychedelic sort of imagery in their mind's eye. And it's, it's mind arts, if you like. And, you know, the self-generated hallucinations are very profound, you know, very personal to each individual. And depending on the frequencies that we're using, like I said, you know, we can, you know, use it to guide people's brains into experiencing a range of, you know, different states, um, you know, based on what they want to explore. So, you know, for example, if somebody is stuck in a high beta frequency, they might be experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, um, you know, just a 10 hertz alpha frequency, which of course they can get, you know, from sound, they can do some sound entrainment, they can do through just closing their eyes and relaxing and having a quiet moment. Yeah. You know, in the moment we close our eyes, you know, our brains have been trained through, you know, evolution, the moment we close our eyes that we start to shift our, our, our brainwave frequency from whatever it is to something more relaxed, uh, down to about the 10 hertz uh, frequency in the alpha range. So, we use the light to demonstrate with, with people what they can achieve themselves when they start practicing more, when they start sustaining their practice, when they're willing to, you know, have a variety of ideas to explore with, see how they fit together. 
Um, the light just gives them a very powerful, immediate, uh, you know, impacting uh, experience that they can't easily turn away from. Um, I mean, it's 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 quite powerful, and I love the idea of the light in the sense that um, uh, again, the developer of uh, of the original light machine, Lucia, you know, they they talk about how you know if you need medication, you can't always get to a pharmacy, but with consciousness. All you have to do is turn towards it, turn back towards it. And yeah. I really love that. You know, this is this is what meditation is all about. And, you know, we actually call Pandora Star, you know, a deep trance meditation machine. You know, it just, it, it again, it guides people into a very dependable, um, easily sustainable experience that they can then take that away with them and, and say, wow, uh, if I can get that with the machine, what can I do myself? Because there's nothing this machine does that you can't do on your own and and that's what I like to emphasize with people um, you know it's just showing you what's already there um, like for example the kaleidoscopic color or the psychedelic imagery people sometimes report oh wow that's like taking a DMT trip or or you know on ayahuasca and they're right you know it's yeah. just another gateway but it's it's a powerful one and uh, it's a project that I'm really enthused about and we're even um, within the next three weeks sending one of these Pandora star uh, light machines out on the road. We're we're calling it um, uh, Pay Pandora Star Forward, where somebody will get it for three days uh, anywhere in the world, and then uh, after three days, they then have to pay it forward to somebody else on our list that we've already uh, added to the list. So, say for example, if somebody in New York gets the light first, we might have somebody in Connecticut that's next, and they send it to the person in Connecticut, and they can try it out and you know use it with their friends and explore for three days, and then they pass it forward. And we want this light machine just sort of go all around the world and and hopefully never come back in the sense that it just keeps traveling yeah that's that's awesome i love that idea it's like a you know i know that people are clamoring they want to own one they want to see it like manufactured and distributed and bought and sold you know something they can buy online but or if they're not close to an event where they could easily go to the event and experience it then they can just I like this. It's it's kind of practicing what you preach here with the synchronicity. You know, you're trusting that it's going to go to the right people and the people that need to experience it will get to experience it. And it's like a super DIY and community based. I, and I love that aspect of it. Yeah, we do, too. So we're really looking forward to it. And, and you know, just mindful about your acupuncture uh, appointment. But I mean, that's I think that's uh, that that from my end, you know, I'm I'm, you know, yeah, that's that sums about right. Um yeah, so, I, I can't wait to experience it. I haven't done it well, yet. Well, I'm looking forward to you experiencing it too. I mean, we've got you on the list, and you know, so uh, when you when you you know get when your turn comes around, I look forward to you, you know, what you share with your your on your podcast and mm -hmm. and uh, you know your thoughts and experiences. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I've done a sensory deprivation tank experience. I've done like five of those, and I almost had an OBE in one of them. You know, I, I got to the vibrational state in one of them but i think if i kept persistent i would have more experiences because it took a while to like get used to the sensations um or lack thereof uh -huh. yes <laughs> um and same thing with pandora star it's like maybe you know right away i would be like okay what's going on you know like getting my bearings like okay there's these flashing lights you know i'm in this artificial it's like artificial light happening what what am i going to experience is this is this good is am i doing it right you know all that kind of stuff happens all the time but as I settle into it, it w I think it would be really enjoyable, like to to try. It. And also, you know, when you're doing it, you're you're putting your your mind, your intention into this. Like, I want to have an experience, you know. So, like, that actually helps get you closer yeah, to to the absolutely. experience, anyway. So, 
Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, it's same like within life. Sometimes we intellectually get too much in the way and, and forget, you know, that we have emotional intelligence and, you know, and there's other aspects of our being that might be currently underdeveloped because we put so much preference on the intellectual side. Um, and again, that just highlights areas that, you know, are, are for us to look into. All right. Well, Todd, it's been a pleasure. Do you have any one la any last tidbit of uh, takeaways for the for our listeners? What can they do um, today? What can they do today? Well, um, once again, I would I reinforce the idea that uh, right now, as soon as they finish this podcast, is an excellent opportunity to to get started with meditation. Um, it really, to me, is the foundation. You know, the the core of everything that I do. And if I if every day I start my day with meditation then, you know, I can almost be assured that, you know, I'm going to have, you know, a great start to my day and, and I'm going to be more likely you know, to show up. So, you know, this is one thing I'd like to impress the most out of all this talk. Once again, this is something that everyone can do. Um, they can do it any time of the day. You know, you take a five minute break at work, you know, to go to the toilet while you're sitting on the toilet, meditate. You know, this is something that's highly portable. You know, it goes anywhere you go. You just have to sort of get into that frame of mind that this is something that's important and you start to prioritize it in your life. Awesome. Yeah. And I recommend it too. And if you're and if meditation sounds intimidating to you, just call it silence and, <laughs> yeah, and, why not? and stillness, you know, go <laughs> find a quiet place and sit and, and watch right. and just like be be by yourself and that's don't, right. don't dwell on your space. thoughts. Just observe them like clouds in the sky. And um, follow your nose. Maybe you'll get a resource coming your way about that helps you explore meditation when your curiosity is calling for it. So be open. That's the other thing. Oh, there's there's this one thing. I mean, um, we, we've mentioned the Synchronicity deck. Um, if people have a look at synchronicitywalk.com, we've actually got a website set up um, which is geared towards helping people run or join a Synchronicity Walk anywhere in the world. So if people would like to pop along and have a look there, it's it's absolutely free. Uh, they can set it up. We've got uh, sort of um, we're uploading stuff, um, you know, this this next week where, you know, it's, there's a, be a, a free PDF manual where people can it'll give them instructions on, you know, how or guidelines, if you like, on how to run their own walk, how to organize it. But we can certainly help them, you know, with with getting people to join their walk or if they want to join somebody else's walk by connecting people. Yeah, synchronicitywalk.com. It's it's a I'm glad you made this website. It's going to help bring people together more on this whole idea. I can't wait to to attend my first walk. That's actually pretty legit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to you using one of the card decks that you helped create yes. with that beautiful work. So thank you again for that, Jeff. Yeah, for sure. So when's the card deck going to be available? I'm hoping either um middle to late December. Uh, so not, okay. not long. It's just, uh, there's, there's a little bit more refinement and then it'll go into the printer soon. Cool. And I'll make sure to keep my listeners and readers aware of when the card deck comes out because I'm pretty pumped on the design and I can't wait to see the packaging complete and in, in my hands. So it'll be good. I'll give people a <laughs> picture. And, yeah, it'll be good. So, all right, Todd, well, thank you so much for your time. It's such a pleasure having you on the show. And, um, we talked about so much awesome stuff. And yeah, I'm just really thankful and have so much gratitude for how we were able to connect and share what we can with each other. And I'm sure we'll share more in the future. And, you know, I'd love to meet you someday and I think it'll happen. Oh, same here, Jeff. Thank you. I'm deeply grateful and I look forward to nurturing this relationship. All right. Well, take care. You too. Bye. Thank you, Jeff. See you. Bye.